0: Our sermon text is First Peter two four to ten, but before we do that, uh, before we read from First Peter, let's pray. And I want to tell you about some hot dogs. That's great. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for this uh, opportunity to come together to worship you together as your people. Lord, we thank you for the rains that you have sent uh, in this way. And uh, though it may have pushed us inside, it may have also pushed us closer together. So for all things that you do, we give you thanks and we give you praise. You are amazing. We pray that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, God, that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives, that you would open our ears, mm. that we would hear from you this morning, yes. that you would open our minds and you would give us understanding of who you are and what you have for us. And God, that you would uh, soften and change our hearts. That even today, you would continue your work in us, changing us from the inside out into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I do want to tell you about hot dogs. I know we have a hamburger uh, fundraiser going on later. But that's probably good, because with hot dogs at the store you might not want to buy any at all. <laughs> It was in uh, the year 2000 that people first heard of the man by the name of Kobayashi. You can give a little nod of acknowledgement if you know who in the world I'm talking about. Kobayashi, ring bells, nothing. A few, a few. Well, you must not pay attention to the hot dog eating championships. I don't know what else you have to do. But uh... Now, this is an amazing thing. This really was a, a, an amazing feat. Because what had happened was that uh, prior to Kobayashi coming on the scene, a Japanese man uh, who came and really dominated the sport there for a while, is, uh, yes, I said sport. <laughs> <laughs> a few of you, that blink, blink, what was that? Um, he really did for a while, but before him, the record, the world record for number of hot dogs, that is the hot dog and bun altogether, uh, eaten in 12 minutes, was 25 and a half. Whoa. You can practice that one at home. <laughs> Don't do that around me. Um, 25 and a half hot dogs. That's a lot of hot dogs in 12 minutes. And the, the record had stayed around with that area, and people would kind of bump it up every now and then, but that's where it stayed until he came around. And he comes on the scene, and his first year in the competition, he eats. You want to make a guess? 50. 50 hot dogs. 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes. Maybe we should have done this after lunch. Anyway. That was impressive. That's one word. Um, but there's more to it than just that. See, from then on, every year he was eating more and more, and the his competitors started eating more and more, too. They actually had to lower the time limit because it was just getting... Or now it's only 10 minutes. But anyway, uh, the record is now, or at least at the time of the writing of this book where I read about it, uh, 69 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. And it wasn't by him. And see, so here's the thing that I think is most fascinating about this. is not just that he was able to eat more than other people, as though his body could somehow do something theirs couldn't. Theirs could too, but they've been approaching it from the wrong the wrong way. And because they were asking the wrong question, which was, how do I eat more hot dogs faster, they were coming up against this limit of 25 hot dogs. And it wasn't until they started asking a different question that they got a very different result. And uh, that's actually the, the point these authors make, and think like a freak. <laughs> um, I've not read the whole book, so I don't know if I can recommend it or not, but... Uh, but they said that the question that everybody else was asking is, how do I eat more hot dogs? But what he was asking is, how do I make hot dogs easier to eat? On the surface, those look like similar questions. But you can tell by the results. But a different question produces a very different answer <clears throat> with very different results. And one of the things I would say to that is that the right answer to the wrong question is still the wrong answer. I will say that again. Yes. The right answer to the wrong question is still the wrong answer. Mm. Now, we're not here today to talk about eating hot dogs. But I am afraid that there are a lot of people who identify as Christians who, when thinking about their life and what it is, uh, what it means to live a Christian life, are asking the wrong question and therefore coming up, even if they answer that in the right way, they still come up with the wrong answer. Here's the question I think a lot of people ask. When they look at the meaning of life itself, the way they ask the question is, how is it that I can live a good life? How is it that I can uh, get the things out of life that I want to get out of life? And how is it that I can use uh, everything, you know, job, relationships, money, faith, God, all of it, mm. to get what I want out of life? And that's the question a lot of people come to faith asking? And I would say that's the wrong question. And the question I think we need to be asking instead is, what is it that God has made me for? Who has he made me to be, and what has he made me for? It almost sounds like the same question, Mm -hmm. but it's a very different question that will give us a very different answer and very different results. Far more impressive than eating lots of hot dogs. Here's how Peter uh, addresses these kinds of questions. This is in Second No First Peter chapter two. Sorry, the big number two on the page First Peter chapter two, where Peter, you remember Peter the uh, disciple of Jesus that uh, was all the time speaking before he was thinking. <laughs> and he did that a lot. Well, he had his life completely changed, not only by Getting to know Jesus, but by getting to know him not only before his suffering and death, but also after all of that and after the resurrection. And Peter's life was completely changed. Now he writes to Christians who are spread all throughout the world at the time. And he says, here's what he wants to remind them. All right, Christians, gathered everywhere, wherever you might be. Let me remind you of who you are, what it is that God was, uh, was making you to be. Starting in verse 4, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But of those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear what Peter is saying? This is who you are. Do you hear how many descriptions he gives of who you are? And how it goes completely against what it is we usually expect, or what we tell ourselves or tell each other of who we are and what we're to be about. In fact, he says at the very beginning, You get so many. So many descriptions. He says at the very beginning, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So what is the first way he identifies us? He says, We are living stones. stones." Well, that's just weird. (laughs) I don't know about you, but there are a lot of rocks around (laughs) Selector County. And they seem pretty dead to me. And I don't know that I've ever met a living stone where I would have any idea what in the world he's talking about. He's a living stone. You know, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you go, okay, I know what a vine is, I know what branches are. Living stone? Perhaps we're supposed to think about this one. What does it mean to be a living stone? Well, it gives us some indications of what this might be. As it talks first about uh who it is we're coming to, and what it is that we are being made into. He says, first, we are coming to him, who is the living stone, the living stone. And as we heard from a few puppets earlier, we're talking about Jesus, who is the cornerstone. And it was very important that the cornerstone be set right, or the whole building wouldn't be right, and may even collapse in on itself. And I'm afraid that too often we try to have Jesus as one of the stones but not the cornerstone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We get crushed trying to bear a weight that we were never created to bear. But with Jesus as the cornerstone everything else gets built up around him and everything comes in right after all. And by the way says we're being built into a spiritual house or a temple, place of meeting with God. I went to Israel this last year, and I stood there and saw the cornerstone of the temple. It is huge. We kind of paced it off. It was like 25 feet long. It's a large stone. I don't know how they're moving that. Wow. But it, that one, to be set right... Very important for the whole rest of the structure. It says, but then we are the other stones. Now, why is why is the living? What's that about? Here's my guess. I think if he says Jesus is a stone and you're also stones, it almost implies idolatry. Of all the idols that have been carved out of stone, but they were nothing but dead stone. Mm. But we come to a living God. Mm. And we are not created in his image, as idols that are carved out of stone that are also dead, resembling these dead gods. But we are the ones who are living stones, created in his image, and therefore we are living beings who reflect the living God. And so he says we are living stones. So we're kind of working with two images at once. We are being built into a spiritual house. And then he switches again. And he says now we're also being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood who is it that's supposed to be a holy priesthood is that the uh, the pastors Sunday school teachers no nope. <laughs> just giving this one time to sink in <laughs> because it's not what we generally assume and yet this is what the bible teaches again and again that we are being built as Christians as those who follow Jesus into a spiritual priesthood that it is within the lives of believers that we come to meet with God. We represent Him to others, to the outside world. Mm. Brothers can come to us to uh, find out how to have access to God. One of the other things that priests did, of course, was to offer sacrifices, and that's also what we are called to do, to offer sacrifices. Wait a second, I thought sacrifices were done. Jesus did the sacrifice once for all, done. yes. And yet, we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Of what? Of ourselves. Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to be my disciple, must take up their cross, deny themselves daily, take up their cross, and follow me. You're to deny yourself daily, to take up your cross daily. This is a dying to self and living for him. It is every day saying again, You're the cornerstone. I'm not. Mm. I'm going to build today around you, not around me. And every day as we do that, that's our sacrifice. This is a spiritual sacrifice. Sacrificing our own pride, our own desires, even our wrong questions. And these spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God. This is what we are to be. This is what we are called to be. It says, uh, that next section is he's quoting from the Old Testament. See, I lay a stone in Zion, chosen precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Mm. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now listen. It's the same stone. And again, we're talking about Jesus. It's the same stone It's good news or bad news, depending on how we use it, depending on how we respond to it. Here's the thing. Think about it this way. Wait. No. First, let me tell you about my dog. (laughs) I can tell you about my children, but they're present. Um, Just don't tell my dog. I have a dog who eats in a really weird way. He's got this food dish, but he refuses to put his mouth in the food dish to eat. But instead, uses the paw. Some of you have animals that do this. Uses the paw, flicks the food out, and then eats it all off the floor. And then goes back, flicks out some more, and eats it off the floor. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But thank you. <laughs> but it's also it's also weird. It also moves his food dish all over the floor as he's flicking and pulling. And what I've found is when his food dish is where it's supposed to be, I don't kick it. I don't trip on it. I don't step on it and spill dog food all over the floor. But when it's not where it's supposed to be, guess what I do? (laughs) All of those things with a size 13. And it seems like it's always in my way, exactly where I meant to step. And this is why I think... exactly what Peter's saying, but something similar, saying if Jesus is where he's supposed to be, if he is at the corner of our life, everything else will build around that, and we will say how precious he is, how amazing he is again, how everything Mm -hmm. seems to be going together just like it's supposed to, and what an amazing God that we have. Mm. But when we take this stone, and it says the stone the builders rejected, when we take this stone and we say, nah, I'm going to put something else there, that stone doesn't go away. In fact, it becomes the stone that's always in our way. Everywhere, everything else we're trying to do, everywhere else we're trying to go, this is that stone that uh, makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Of course it does. It's not what it's supposed to be. Okay. Final paragraph. One that is just loaded. Take this one. Home. Memorize it. Meditate on it. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You think about yourself in these terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peter's very deliberately using terms straight from Deuteronomy. When the Israelites had been brought out of slavery in Egypt, When they had been given the law and commandments, all that, Mount Sinai, they had wandered in the desert for 40 years, and they were getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses says, before you go in, let me remind you. And there we have a whole book of Deuteronomy. And one of the things that he has to remind them is, let me remind you of who you are, who it is that God has made you to be. Before you go into this land, know who you are. And he says very similar things. You are a chosen people. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. These kinds of things. And Peter is reappropriating these same terms and saying this is not just for the people of Israel, this is for anyone who is in Jesus. But it's not just in any one kind of thing, it's in all of us together kind of thing. We're not just building our own lives individually but we are being built together and that we are a chosen people, a holy nation. You see how they it's a priesthood. It's not just that you're a priest, it's that we are a priesthood. It's an all-together kind of thing because we have not just been called to him, we have been. We've been called together to him. Mm. And it's as we grow together that we've become this temple. As... Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst this is who we are this is the life we are called to but what is the purpose because this is who we are it says you're a chosen people, a royal priest of a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him up right there what was that again? What is it that we've been made for? What is it that He is building us together for? What is it that he's called us together for? To praise him. That we may declare the praises of him. Which, if we understand that we are his special possession, you go back to Psalm 8 and David looks up with all the stars in the sky and he says, when I think of all this stuff that you've made, the creator of the entire universe, and we're discovering more stuff every day mm-hmm. that God has made, and we look at all that, and then we say, wait a second. Wait a second. Mm. What are we? Mm. That you should care about us. That you should think about us at all. God says, you are my special possession. All the things I have created, nothing else has been created in my image like you. Mm. You are my special possession. And we understand that, the view that he has of us that way. And when we see this cornerstone of Jesus as precious and what he's done for us, we want to declare his praises. That's what we've been called to do. We're not called to gather together to complain about the state of our country. We're not called together to gather together to complain about our schools, to complain about our neighbors, to complain about any number of things that is usually first on our list of what we want to do when we get together. But we're actually called together to... Praise him. To declare his praises. (laughs) So talk about how great he is, and I'll tell you this: when we start talking about how great God is, all those other things that we want to complain about don't mm. seem like that big a deal mm. after all. Amen. Doesn't mean that there aren't still problems, <clears throat> but they don't seem like they're as big a problems as they are anymore. Mm. And we get them back into perspective. So what is it we're praising him for? Well, it says we're to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, this is who we are. Mm. Those who have been called out of darkness, out of not being able to see where we're going, tripping on everything, not seeing the way to go, called into his wonderful light, which, yes, exposes us, shows all our sin, Mm but kind of like those bright lights that have in the operating room. Where it shows what it is, not to embarrass us, but to heal us. says, this is what you've been called for. And once, you were not a people, but now, you are the people of God. Look around this room. No, really, around. Really, really. That was not rhetorical. <laughs> As you look around this room, we have people here of different ages, genders, everything, any way people want to divide us up. And guess what? And we've people who live in very different parts of the county and some even from outside of this county. If you were to plot us all on a map and run the demographics of it all, and then somebody say, what do these people have in common? See, We're not gathering together because we all have uh, similar interests. Or because we have nothing to do on a Sunday morning, or because we all like the same music, or because none of those things. We come together because God has created us into He's called us a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. That's why we gather together. Because that's who he's making us to be. His people. What we have in common is lives built around Jesus as our cornerstone. And if we start gathering together for any reason besides Jesus, <laughs> I'll let you figure out where that goes. Mm. I heard a speaker in California in January who said that, uh, that he had a friend up in Washington State. They were in Tacoma, Washington. And he said this man, dear, dear man, would gather the church leaders together and he would say to them, how many churches are in Tacoma? You guys can think about that right now for El Dorado. say, how many churches are in Tacoma? He said, all the people who were new to the area would start, uh-uh, 100, 150, something like that. And he would say, nope, one. There is one church. Jesus has one church in Tacoma. And then he'd say, can we start acting like it? Amen. Now... For anyone here who feels like I said that to you know, shame you in any way, absolutely not. Because what we are doing today right now, worshiping God together, is showing exactly that, that we, that is what we believe, that is who we are, and that though we may have times where we do things separately, we understand that we are one church, that Jesus has one church, and I am often encouraged by the way the Christians in El Dorado actually do act like it. There you go. It is very encouraging. We started uh, this morning talking about hot dogs. But we weren't really talking about hot dogs. We were talking about asking the right question. Let us not leave here still asking the question of how can I add a little Jesus to a life built around me? But let us ask a different question. Who is it that God has made me to be? What is it that he's calling me to do? And how can I live every day, every moment of every day, building my life completely and totally around who Jesus is, what he's done for me, and who he's calling me to be in life with him and with each other. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.